Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now we, this morning, are going to be looking into God's Word together, and we're going to be looking into it in one verse, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8. Um, But before we look at that verse together, I want to pray for our time. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to gather together as your people today. And Father, I pray that you would be our teacher. I pray that your spirit, which resides within the hearts of your people, your spirit that works through your word and makes it as sharp as a two-edged sword, piercing deep. Father, I pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us and teach us today. Father, we do not need to hear from me. We desperately need to hear from you. So, Father, I pray that you would just work through me today to communicate your words and not mine. But, Father, I pray that if I do say something that's just mine, that you would just help us to forget it quickly. But, Father, anything that I share today that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember it, we would believe it, and we would walk forward in it in the power of your Spirit, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been accused before of not being able to deliver a sermon without referencing Bartlesville, which is my hometown, uh, or my son Josh, who is five. Um, If that is you, if you fall into that camp, you're going to love this opening illustration today um, because we're going to talk about both. And and what we're going to talk about them with is revolving around Halloween. This last week was Halloween. I don't know what you guys did in your family. Maybe you ignored it. Maybe you took your kids out trick-or-treating. Maybe your neighborhood was bombarded with kids coming door-to-door. But Halloween in in my house growing up in Bartlesville um, was a big deal. And, you know, for eight-year-old Mark, it was really exciting because I got to dress up in costume and I got to go get candy. That's a win-win. What's not to like? And so every year on Halloween, I'd get really excited about going out in our, in, in our neighborhood and, and going trick-or-treating with some friends. Now, I've always been one to kind of organize and gather people. So I, I got my, my friends together and we started talking about what the best strategy was for trick-or-treating. It involved various levels. Sometimes it involved carrying, you know, a, a pillowcase instead of a bucket. You can't get much into those little buckets, pillowcase you can fill as the night goes on. Sometimes the strategy was like that. But the strategy always came back specifically to one particular thing. We wanted to find the houses where we could get the most candy possible, right? You know what I'm talking about. We did not want just a lot of fun-sized candy bars. We wanted the full-size candy bars. And so we searched every corner of my neighborhood, hopefully finding the full-size candy bar. Never found it. So we began to think, in order to get the full-size candy bar, we must need to go across town to that neighborhood. There no houses under 3,000 square feet. Surely they have the big full-size candy bars. And so we would eventually convince one parent to load us all up and drive us over to this neighborhood. We went around, never found it. In all the years trick-or-treating in Bartlesville, never found it. Now, fast forward to this last Wednesday night. My son Josh, who's five, um, was going to go trick-or-treating. And we were going to walk around our neighborhood. There he is. He's dressed like a little X-Wing pilot. Um, you know, if, if you're from my era, you want that costume, don't you? I, I wanted it. Uh, he had it. It didn't fit me. Um, so he gets in the X-Wing fighter costume. We're going to go house to house in our neighborhood. 
doing some trick-or-treating. He has not yet uh, been jaded in this search for the fountain of food like I was. He was just happy to get any kind of candy. Fun size was fine with him. So we had not had this conversation. It was not part of the expectation. We went walking in our neighborhood, and lo and behold, we came to a house that delivered not the fun size, not the full size, but the king-size candy bar. It was unbelievable. This Kit Kat was bigger than his head. And he sees it and his eyes get huge. He looks at me and goes, Daddy, we can share. And I'm like, this is awesome. I spent my whole life looking for this. I mean, as a kid growing up, I was like Cortez looking for El Dorado, looking for this place that had the big candy. And, and here it was right there within walking distance of my house. I found a place that had the king-size candy bar. Now, I tell you that story today. Um, I really am going someplace with it. I tell you that story today because I think when it comes to um, our participation with Christ on mission, um, we have similar kinds of obstacles. You see, I grew up thinking that if I wanted to find the full-size candy bar, I would need to go someplace exotic across town, when in reality, I could have gotten there on foot from where I live. And I think when it comes to being on mission with Christ, sometimes we think that in order to be on mission with Christ, we need to take a trip, right? That comes after the word mission, mission trip. We need to go someplace else. We need to get on a plane. We need to go to people that look very different from us in very exotic places that don't speak our language if we want to be on mission with Christ. And yet I believe, as I've been praying through this over the last several months and looking at God's Word, that being on mission with Christ is not just something that we have to get on a plane to go do but it's something that we can walk to in our very own neighborhoods. I believe that Christ wants us to be involved serving him, not just out there, but locally. And we're going to look at that a little more today by looking at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to unpack this verse and see about four things in it this morning. Um, but before we do that, I want us just to, just to read it first. And, and uh, you know, everybody's got different versions of the, of the Bible in front of them. Um, I've put it up here on the screen in front of us. And uh, I put it up there so that we might be able to just read it out loud together um, before we unpack it. So would you join me in, in reading aloud Acts 1-8 together? It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. Um, in this verse, we have Jesus interacting with his disciples just before his ascension into heaven. And this is one of the last things he shares with them. He gives them a great commission. He gives them a great task. He gives them a great charge to be involved in his work, to be on mission with him. And as we see this here, I think we see at least four things that are significant for us to notice in the midst of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The first thing that we see here is this issue of power. Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power. Now, I think that's a very significant thing because Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was giving them a commission. He was telling them that they were to go and be his witnesses and to share who he was with all of the peoples of the earth. But he tells them there's something that they need, and that something is power. Now think about the disciples and what they had at this point. The disciples had very many things in their advantage 
as far as being a witness for Christ already. They had an unbelievable Christian education. Think about it. The disciples for three years had been taught directly by Christ. Their Christian education was phenomenal. Were there things they didn't get, didn't grasp, didn't understand? Absolutely. But they had heard directly from Christ. And not only had they heard every sermon he'd ever preached, but they were around the campfire with him later that night to say, okay, Jesus, you said this parable. Now, what does that really mean? We didn't quite get it. They had an incredible Christian education. They probably had heard themes in his sermon so many times they could say them back to you in their sleep. They had that education, but they needed something else. They needed more than just their education. They needed power. What else did they have at their disposal? Not just an education, but they also had an experience. Think about the experience that those original apostles would have had to draw from to be a witness to Christ. Things they had seen happen with their own eyes. They had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen him feed 4,000, feed 5,000. They'd seen him heal a blind man. They'd seen him raise someone from the dead. They had not only seen these things happen to other people, but they had personally experienced Christ doing some amazing things in their own lives. You know, Matthew could talk about being a despised person in society as a tax collector, but Jesus had called him in to be on the inside, had given him responsibility. Peter could talk about denying Christ in front of a multitude of people, but Christ reinstating him according to his purpose. See, the disciples, not only did they have a great Christian education, but they also had an incredible set of experiences they could share, but their education and their experiences were not enough. They needed power also. Not only did they have a great education and great set of experiences, but they also had the most incredible internship ever designed. Jesus had sent them out to be his representatives, to go out in pairs and minister and, and, and experience this stuff, and then come back and have this internship forum with the Savior himself. And he broke down what happened and gave them instruction and input and feedback, and he, had, he used them to perform miracles, and they saw all this stuff happen. They had this incredible internship, this incredible set of ministry experience. And yet that wasn't enough either. They needed power. See, the disciples were in need of power in order to do the things that God was asking them to do. They needed God to show up. You know, if it's true of the disciples, it's also certainly true of us. You see, we're people that have a lot of things at our disposal too. We're people that have an incredible Christian education. Um, we get to, to hear God's word unpacked for us, not, not from me, but from, from Bruce A. Hess on a regular basis from this stage. We, we get that unpacked for us. We have, we have stores in our town that are full of Christian books that are, that are wonderful, that point us to Christ. We can turn on the radio to multiple stations and, and hear incredible sermons. Uh, we can be a part of small groups that are, are teaching truth to us. We, we have an incredible Christian set of education that has made us very educated in our faith. But you know what? If we are to be used by God on mission, we need more than just an education. We have some incredible experiences. You and I, I know so many of your stories. God has done some amazing things in your lives, and there's some incredible stories that can be told around this room about what God has done, not just in bringing you into a relationship with him, but throughout your life, some incredible experiences. But you know what? If we want to be used by God on his mission, we need more than just our experiences and our stories to tell. 
Some of you in this room have incredible ministry experience. You work in our children's ministry. Last Friday night, we had uh, nine days ago, we had like 300 people working in Wonderfall. Every Sunday, we had people working on our children's ministry and serving in all kinds of ministries here and in your past and when you were in college and when you were a youth leader and all these things. God has done some incredible things and given some incredible experiences in ministry to the people in this room. But if we're to be on mission with Christ, we need more than just some good internships in our past. We need more than just some cool experiences to relate. We need more than just some Bible knowledge to share. See, if we are to be on mission with Christ, we need Him to show up. We need His power. You know, why is it that in our Ready for Takeoff initiative, we spend time encouraging all of us to pray? Why is it as a church that prayer is so important? It's so important because if we are to be on mission with Christ, if we are to be used by Him in the things that matter the most, it simply is, requires God to work because we don't have the skills to leverage it otherwise. I don't care how much you know, how, how experienced you are, how many seminars you've attended, all that stuff, how cool your testimony is, it cannot leverage someone going from doesn't know Christ to knowing Christ. If we're to see somebody go from lost to found, it requires the Spirit of God to illuminate their eyes and heart and give them faith to respond. It requires God to show up. It requires power. See, the first thing we see in Acts 1.8 is that there is a prerequisite for ministry. We need His power, just as the disciples did. But when does this power come? Well, the verse continues. It says, this power comes when the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the power comes. Now, for the disciples, this was a, this was a historical event. Um, the disciples stayed there in Jerusalem, and they gathered together. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came and descended upon them and never left. It empowered them and gave them the ability to share truth about Christ in languages that people could understand, and they were able to to share that love, and the world was changed because of it. You see, the Spirit came. When the Spirit came, the power came, and God's work was happening. See, the, the power comes with the Spirit. Now, for us today, when does the Spirit come? Well, The book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 would let us know that the Spirit comes into our lives at the moment in which we trust in Christ. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When I heard this truth and when I believed it, the Spirit of God came to dwell in my life. In East Cross Methodist Church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, there's two references. Um, When I trusted Christ on Easter Sunday, 1990, the Spirit of God came and dwelled within my life, and it's never left. The power showed up then. If you have trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides within you. The power has come. And And the time marker is that this power will come to empower us for ministry when the Holy Spirit comes. So if you're a believer, that time is now. Now, that's, that's important for us because oftentimes we want to think of our time to be involved in ministry is after something else is going to happen. 
I will get involved more significantly in ministry after I get out of seminary. I'll get involved in ministry more significantly after I finish this training course. I'll get involved more significantly in ministry after everything else in my life is perfect. I'll get involved after I feel like I know the answer to every question. Um, we, we have all these, these things we say, I'll get more significantly involved when blank. But the Word of God tells us that we can be involved on mission with Christ when the Spirit of God comes. And if you know Christ, it's already come. Therefore, the time is not someday. It's now. Now, this is huge. This is challenging for me because, um, you know, as, as over the last several months with Ready for Takeoff, we've been praying about what we would do to get involved and even personally, how Kimberly and I were going to get involved with this and, and, and some of the things. And one of the things that, that, that came out of this season was you know, wow, wouldn't it be great to really make an impact in our, in our neighborhood? And this is, this is something that we are really terrible at. Um, the Robinson family, I'll just, just confess this to you, are really terrible. We, I'm, when I come home, I drive in the driveway, I, I press the button, it comes up, I go in, I press it, it closes behind me like the bat cave, and I disappear, and I want to pretend like I'm not home for a while. Um, that, that's, that's sadly how I've lived a lot of my life. That's not the way it should be, that's just the way that it's been. And so, it, when we think about this, getting excited about being involved in ministry, I'll tell you a when that started coming up in conversations with Kimberly and I was, you know, hey, when we move to a different house, then we'll get involved in reaching our neighbors. You know, thinking that maybe the secret to ministry is as after there's a move, we can kind of hit the reset button and start over in some way. Um, and one of the things that hit me this week as I was reading these verses was just this reminder that... I don't have to say, I'll get involved in ministry, I'll be on mission with Christ in my neighborhood. When I move, it could be now. Spirit has come. I've got opportunity. What's it look like for me, not someday, but today? Um, you know, what is the when for you? What's the, I'll get involved significantly when, when everything's perfect, when I know all the answers, when the opportunity is perfect, whatever. No. The Spirit has come. The time is now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, next section, and you will be my witnesses. Now, the disciples were given a task, and that task was to be a witness to Christ. Bruce mentioned some of this, I believe, last Sunday. The goal of a witness is to point to the one to whom they are witnessing about. In other words, it wasn't about the disciples, it was about Christ. The disciples' role was to give witness to Jesus, it was their goal to point to him. Everything they did, the lifestyle that they lived, the decisions that they made, the things that they said, was all to point people to Christ. And you know what? That's really your and my goal too. Our role in being on mission with Christ is merely that we would live our lives like a giant arrow pointing to Christ, pointing people to Him. Um, we, this can happen when we live a lifestyle that is distinctive. And when people go, that's kind of weird that you don't do blank. It's kind of weird that you do this. And we could say, well, you know, I do those things, or I don't do those things because I follow Jesus Christ, and this is his, his plan for my life. We're just pointing an arrow to him. You know, we, we, live, we point an arrow to Christ when we, we talk about him. And, and sometimes we think if we're going to talk about Christ, we need to go back to the beginning and tell everything we know about Jesus. But the reality is that we can start wherever we are in whatever is normal talking about Christ in that context. We can talk about Jesus not just in how he saved us at the beginning, but we can talk about what he's providing for us today. 
to help point to him so that people might see him and, and have an interest in following him. You know, in, in uh, recent days, my wife had a, a kidney transplant. Many of you know that. Um, and as she was in the process of going through that and through the recovery, I, I kept a blog, and I posted on this blog all these thoughts uh, about, you know, the, the things, ways we were seeing God work and, and different things during that time. And really, you know, I wasn't doing it for a, a, an outreach purpose. I was doing it largely just as a, a personal diary of some of the things that we were seeing God happen. But it was interesting as we, I continued to write and continue to talk about Jesus and what we were learning from him, um, that I, I began to hear from other people who were in very different life circumstances, but who were commenting about the ways that God was encouraging them through our experience and how they were coming to know Christ in new ways as a result. My sister had a, a friend over in, in Little Rock that just heard one of my messages through a link on a Facebook page or something, and, and just it made a significant difference in her life. Totally different context, totally different scenario. Um, but it just happens when we point to Christ, Jesus is able to use our lives to help people come to know Him. We're just His witnesses. We're just pointing to Him. The disciples were called to do that. You and I are as well. The last thing that's mentioned here, though, as we break this down, is this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses. And then the last thing is this geographical stamp. It's the where. He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we hear that and we think, wow, Jesus told his disciples to be an influence for him in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now, that, that makes sense to us because we think, of course, he started there. Those are Bible places. You know, where else better to start than Bible places? They're mentioned in the Bible, and so Jesus picked them because they were in the Bible. But I, I think that there's a little deeper understanding to that. He picked them not just because they were Bible places. He picked them because that's where they were. When Jesus is giving this command to the disciples, they're right there in Jerusalem. Judea is the state in which Jerusalem resided. Samaria was the area immediately to the north. Despised people, but very close to them geographically. If we were to put that in our vernacular today, if Jesus were to come and to give us this command, he would say, you will be my witnesses, Wildwood, in Norman and in the greater Oklahoma City area and even up there in Stillwater. Um, no, it, it's just this idea, this, this local application of it. Um, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria were accessible to the disciples, not by boat, not by train, not by plane, but by foot. They were that close. Certainly, he goes on to say that the impact of this will go all the way to the ends of the earth. The scope is global, but the application was local. They were to take this truth of Christ that they had learned, and they were to share it with those who were right there in their own city. And that was true of the, the disciples, and you know what? It's also true of us today. You know, while it has opportunities and ministries um, that, are, that are to the ends of the earth, but we also believe that God wants us to reach our own Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria today. And you know what? There's a need right here in our community. Um, sometimes it's hard for us to remember that because our city feels very churched. Um, but the reality is that Cleveland County, where we reside, is about 75% unchurched. 
That means there's about 200,000 people in our county that don't go to church. And if you're like me, you're like, wow, that, that seems almost hard to believe because I passed all these churches on the way in and, and all this kind of stuff is going on. But the, that, that number you know, really pans out. It means about 50,000 people in our county are going to church every Sunday. 200,000 are not. It's hard for me to grasp at times because everybody I know is in this room right? Um, and so because I operate so frequently in the church, it's easy for me to think that everybody in our, our city is church, but the reality is there are many in our city that don't know Christ that need to. God has placed us here with an opportunity to reach our own Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that also God has impressed upon me over the last several months, and some of you have heard me say this before, but um, is if we are to effectively reach our community, we're probably going to have to interact with some people that we don't currently know. Alan Hirsch, who's a church missiologist, has speculated that the church in America today is well-positioned relationally to reach only about 40% of our country. That means that you and I, by application, and every other believer in Norman probably know four out of every 10 people. That means six out of 10, we don't even know. We need to have a relationship with them. And if we're to be used by God to take the gospel to them, we need to intentionally place ourselves in some situations so that we might get to know the other 60% of our community that currently are strangers to us, that we might be able to introduce them to Christ, that we might be able to point them to the Savior. And as we have been thinking and praying as a church about how we can best do that, we thought we need to get some help and we need to get some partners in our community that we could join together with in order to share Christ with our community. And so we put together a Norman outreach team um, that has been doing some investigating and meeting with several organizations in our community. And two members of that team are David Ridgeway and Courtney Bracken. And I'm going to ask those guys to come on up um, and join me up here. And I, I just wanted, as we've done these, these interviews over the last couple of months with organizations trying to find partners that would, could help introduce us to people that we would hope to introduce to Christ in our community, um, they've done a number of interviews, so over 20 organizations that we've interacted with to find opportunities to, to, to share Christ in our community. So um, just join me in welcoming up Courtney and David. Guys, I wanted to just ask you, you a few questions. We went out and talked to these organizations. What were we asking them what, when we would go talk to them? Well, we met with about 20 organizations, and we asked all of them the same thing right up front. We said, what is your mission? What do you do best? Um, how are you serving the people in Norman, Oklahoma? That was the first thing we asked. The second thing we wanted to know is, how can Wildwood help? Uh, do you need financial assistance from us? Do you need individual members of our congregation to get involved and get to work in your organization, or is there any way that maybe you can use this church facility that we are sitting in today? Great. You know, one of the things that, that really struck me so much in this process is, you know, that we, we believe that Jesus cares about the hungry in our community. We believe that Jesus cares about the homeless in our community. We believe he cares about youth and children and college and all these folks, and because Jesus cares about them, we, we care about them as well, and we can find some partners in the community. We have a common interest where they care for these folks, and we can join together with them with the hope of us sharing Christ with them. But, you know, some of these organizations, Courtney, weren't, weren't Christian. They were secular organizations uh, in, their, in their founding and, and things like that. As showing up as a church, what was, our, what was our response? Were they not happy to see us, happy to see us? I mean, how'd that, how'd that go? Yeah, the, uh, the overwhelming uh, response was just acceptance. Uh, every organization 
that we had the opportunity to meet with just opened their doors and their arms and said they would love uh, for us to participate with them. Uh, so, it, you know, but for the three or four organizations that we just absolutely couldn't make contact with, everybody said they would welcome us in uh, to participate with them in some way. Yeah, that's yeah, I, one of the meetings that I, I sat in with, um, Courtney and I met with the leader of an organization, and we said, hey, we're, we're Christians. We're here to hopefully connect people into a relationship with Christ. Do, do you have any problem with that? And, and the leader of this organization responded back to us and said, look, you know, my, my faith has led me, like many in this, in this industry, my faith has led me into being involved in this kind of work, and we welcome partnership with the church and with Christians in any way that we can. And so just some, some exciting opportunities are out there. Um, as we talk to these organizations, though, David, anything specifically that they indicated, here's the kinds of things that we could use help with. Definitely. The number one thing that we heard as expected was uh, a need for financial assistance. It takes a lot of money to operate a not-for-profit organization, and so it was no surprise to hear that they wanted uh, help with fundraising. What was surprising was the second most common thing that we heard, which was 12 of the organizations told us that they needed mentors. They wanted members of our church to get involved with and, and work as mentors with the people that they serve. And, you know, you expect that from big brothers, big sisters, and organizations like that, but I did not expect it to hear it 12 total times. Uh, another interesting thing that we learned was uh, food and shelter for friends. They told us that in their experience... Um, the people that are working there today, that they have never worked with more homeless people than they're working with now in Norman, and they have never served more meals than they're serving right now. So all that says that there is a lot of need in our, our community right now. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that that need for mentoring goes across the board from, you know, boys that, that need mentoring in a big brother, big sister kind of situation, OU athletes um, with FCA, sing, you know, teen moms um, with young lives, uh, homeless teens with bridges. So many organizations that we talked to had had a need for mentors. They they wanted they wanted us. They wanted us to to come in and, and to and to, to have an opportunity, which is amazing because we didn't know when we started this would they say, hey, we'll, we'll we'll be happy to cash your check, but we don't want the church anywhere near us. Um, but that that wasn't that wasn't the case at all. Not at all. Um, yeah. What what would you guys say? You know, as a as a church and and as Christians yourselves, you know, why is it that we should be a, a a part of these kinds of things. In Mark 12, uh, someone approaches Jesus and asks him, they said, what is the greatest commandment? And Christ's response to that was pretty simple. He said, the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, to love others. And obviously these uh, service opportunities that we have uh, uncovered are an opportunity to do both of those things and to obey Christ. Courtney, you got anything to add? <laughs> Just what he said. <laughs> I, I, I really can't add to that. Uh, but I do want to go back and underscore something uh, uh, that David had said a second ago. And that is that the need uh, for mentors and folks to uh, uh, spend time uh, with those less fortunate is overwhelming. And, and I think that um, uh, especially for uh, men in this congregation to consider how they can get involved uh, the, the resounding need for our community is that there's uh, male leadership and male mentors. So I just want to underscore that. It's not just about the Bucks, man. It, they need our time. They need us to get plugged in and help them. And so just want to want to lay back yeah. into that. There, there's, there's so many, you know, fatherless boys um, in our community. And they're, you know, it's, 
one of the things that we heard over and above, I mean, there was certainly a need for female mentors, but definitely a need for male mentors. I mean, the, the gap that we heard from big brothers and big sisters is a gap of 100 men needed right now to meet the demand. I talked to somebody just between service, their, their son has been on the waiting list for two years uh, with big brothers, big sisters. And I, I, I told her, so we're not going to leave ready for takeoff uh, season without finding a, a mentor for, for your son. I mean, it, you know, if, if you're interested in getting involved today, we could help make a connection. Um, there's some, some great, great opportunities out there and great needs for mentoring. Now, you guys um, have processed this as a team, and you've been looking at these opportunities, but also just as individuals. You know, you're thinking not just about Wildwood collectively, but as, you know, David and Courtney as individuals. How, how have you guys thought about getting involved personally in light of some of the things you've heard? There's an organization called Bridges uh, here in Norman that I had not been familiar with but came across in this process, and it had a big impact on me. Bridges is located near Norman North, and what they do is they reach out and help abandoned teenagers. You know, there are, there are teenagers in this community that their parents um, have left them. Maybe the parents are in jail. Maybe the parents are drug addicts. Uh, some probably mentally ill, but whatever the case, they have left teenagers uh, alone with, with no guidance, and Bridges takes care of them. So what they do is these students move into apartments on the Bridges complex, and they pay a reduced rent, and while they live there, uh, they participate in education programs, counseling programs, uh, mentor programs, and this is all being run by a board of directors and by a, uh, a director named Deborah Crittenbrink. And after watching Deborah for about an hour, it was uh, easy to tell that she kind of serves as a mother figure to these, to these students, and she needs help. So I think that uh, diving in and helping her would be a great way to get started. And probably the best way to, to jump in would be through their mentorship program. They want every, every girl involved in the program to have a female mentor and every boy involved in the program to have a male mentor. So that's a good jumping in point. For me, you know, I, I too am challenged uh, to try to figure out how I can give some time. Uh, that seems to be the biggest thing uh, that, uh, that the organizations and the folks in our community need. So uh, I personally am challenged to... to um, find the right organization for to, to plug into. Maybe it's reading with kids at, uh, at an elementary school or something like that. And certainly to do something financially, you know, to, to get behind ready for takeoff is something that uh, I want to be willing to do and, and am challenged as a family to do. So those are the two things that uh, I think I'm directed towards. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you all so much. You know, we've been going and doing these interviews um, with, with the hope of finding opportunities to invest both financially and for, for time of people uh, in our community as far as outreach goes. And so, you know, if you have an interest in getting involved financially, you know, we have some financial commitment cards out there. You can become a part of that. If you have an interest in being a part of this with your time, also at our Ready for Takeoff table out in the gathering hall, there's some yellow pieces of paper that are boarding pass. And like, if you have an interest in mentoring, you know, one of the main needs, just an opportunity with one kid, mark that. We're going to be following up with those in the next couple of weeks because this, this really is about us, um, you know, reaching out as a church into our community. And um, we have the opportunity to do that. You know, one of the things that this really hit me so much is that we have an opportunity not just to do good, but to connect people to the one who is good. Um, and and that's, that's the difference. There are a lot of people that, that want to do good, um, but ultimately we know that, that people's needs go beyond just needing someone to do good to them. That's a part of it, but they also ultimately need Christ. 
And so we have a chance as a, as a congregation to share the love of Christ with our community, and we love everybody here to be a part of that. At this time, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, um, and uh, they're going to be leading us in a closing song here in, in just a moment. Um, and the song that they're going to be singing, that we're going to be worshiping with at the end of the service, talks about how we have a God who is the God of this city, um, and we have the chance to see Him do greater things than even that we've seen before in our life as we see God work um, in our future and in our city. And we believe that, that God wants to do things in Norman and he wants to involve uh, each of us. So at this time, please stand and join us as we close our service and song.